Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Okay, we're in the Word. Uh, We're in Acts today. Um, So if you would like to grab your Bibles and head to Acts 2, we'll be doing the first reading from Acts 2, 42 to 47. There are NIVs at the end of most pews. If you didn't bring one today, um, if you want to grab one of those, it's on page 1,694. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Next we're heading to Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. So Acts 20. From Miletus, Paul sent to the Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thanks very much for reading, Lauren. Please, uh, if you would, keep Acts chapter 20, that part of scripture open before us uh, yourself tonight, um, either on your phone or in your Bible, the, the, you know, those paper ones. Um, those old-fashioned ones. Um, we are in the book of Acts. We've been back in for about a week now, and uh, we, if you're sort of new to us, um, new to City Light Church, North Adelaide, the way we roll around here is we usually pick 
uh, books of the Bible, um, letters of Scripture, and sort of work our way systematically through them, um, listening to what God has to say and applying what he has said um, back in, often in you know, um, ancient times and work out what was he saying then and then how does it apply to us today. That's how we roll. Um, and this is our third section uh, in the book of Acts. We started in the book of Acts, feels like a long time ago, uh, where we sort of went from chapter 1 through to 12. We then did 13 to sort of 19. We're back in for the last section um, as of this next seven weeks. Um, so you've sort of picked a relatively good time. We're sort of week two of this last section. Um, so Acts 20 and verse 17 and onwards. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll get into the Word tonight. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we are weak, uh, Lord, uh, but you are strong. Uh, Lord, we are weak. Uh, we often struggle to comprehend you. Father, we often struggle to comprehend and grasp that which we know already about you. Lord, we struggle to love you. Uh, we struggle to love other people. And so, Lord, we thank you tonight that you are the God who is all-sufficient and the God who in Christ has given us everything we need for salvation and for life and for godliness. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. And Lord, we pray that one more time, Father, tonight you would speak to us by your word, through your spirit, and produce in us um, more Christ-likeness, we pray. Strengthen us, Lord, perhaps to face the sin in our hearts and our lives tonight. Father, to throw ourselves upon you afresh. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to run to the Lord Jesus tonight, perhaps in repentance and faith. And so, Lord, live in a way that promotes your glory in the world and, Father, leads us into greater and greater joy. So, Father, work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I think it was now, I was chatting to my little son, Fletcher, um, who's just a little bit over two and a half. Um, as you can imagine, I was kind of driving the conversation. Um, he, you know, he's working on his words and stuff. He's not that proficient. But I'm, we're chatting about various things. And uh, I said to Fletcher, hey, I've got a really good idea, Fletcher. And he has this habit of going, huh? Like that, you know, about everything. I'm like, hey, you don't say hi, you say pardon. Or I don't understand, Dad. So he goes, I don't understand, Dad. Anyway, so I said, I've got a really good idea. And he goes, huh? Anyway, and then... Anyway, we're chatting away, and I said, here's my idea. And he looks at me, and I said, what I think we should do from now on is that your really stinky nappies don't come to me, go to your mum. <laughs> you can imagine, he goes, huh? <laughs> and I said, like, like, seriously, when you do a really, you know, like a number two, go and see your mum, don't come to me. And he kind of looks at me, didn't really say anything. But then I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, right, He's taken on the idea and he's run with it. So more and more, he's, he's running over to his mum, sort of going, mum, mum, pointing, you know. I, just, I don't even know what happens anymore, you know. Anyway, this morning, right, I, I'm sitting in the kitchen and the dog goes, something's going on around here. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, like, the last two weeks, every time Fletcher does number two, he comes to me to get him changed. What's going on? I said, I gave him that idea. And, uh, and uh, anyway, um, what we teach... Our kids, what we teach one another matters, right? Ideas matter, and ideas have consequences. Um, there was my idea. Mum can change all your number twos. He's, he's run with it, and it's been fantastic. Um, ideas have consequences. 
Um, Tonight we're in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul uh, calls together a bunch of elders, a whole big group of leaders um, of all the churches in this place called Asia Minor, includes Turkey, modern-day Turkey today, and he basically says to them, watch your teaching, watch what you teach other people, because what you teach them will actually have consequences in real life. It's a really special passage. I hope you have it open in front of you, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It's actually quite a unique little section in the book of Acts. As you know, um, you know, you might be joining us here tonight, you may have no really familiarity with the book of Acts whatsoever, you might be new to the faith, new to Christianity, new to church. Um, we're in this book called the book of Acts, it comes in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. Um, God, um, if you read the Old Testament, he created the world, human beings like you and I rejected God, we turned our back on him, that's called sin, and ever since that happened, God has been working out a plan to redeem humanity. Uh, which lands and is centred on the person and work of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're gospels, they account for the life of Jesus. And then the book of Acts is all about the church of Christ being born by the Holy Spirit and the church of Christ kind of exploding onto the world scene and and transforming lives and transforming cities and peoples, etc. And it continues to do it today. But the book of Acts is really accounts for the first 30 years of the explosion of the church. Uh, since the Lord Jesus died, rose again and ascended to the right hand of God. Um, As the the Christian church, this movement has burst out, it began in a place called Jerusalem, it then went a little bit out into Judea, then into Samaria, then sort of a bit up into Syria, turned left and headed for Asia Minor, but it got there via a quick jump onto the island of Crete and then via Greece, and then soon it's going to land in Rome. It's a global expansion. It's really exciting. It's been fast-paced all the time, lots of interesting things happening, and then Acts 20 is kind of totally different. It slows down. And we kind of find ourselves in this little kind of coastal zone called Miletus. It's kind of the pace slows down. In this, in this little town, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, calls to himself all the leaders of the churches in Ephesus, which probably means the, the whole of the western part of Asia Minor, um, including places like Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae and places like that. They all kind of make the, I don't know, three to four day walk down to this little port city called Miletus to hear Paul's last words before he heads off. And the whole narrative kind of slows down. And for the first time in the book of Acts, we actually hear an apostle speaking to a group of church leaders about what really matters. And he basically says to these people, watch your teaching. And for a busy bunch of people here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, in a relatively busy church, in an increasingly complex culture, this passage, I think, is really clarifying for us. Where we're told, right, um, What we put in our heads, the stuff that we read, the discussions we have in our discipleship groups, the books we buy, the things we consume, the words that I preach and other preachers preach here, and what we collectively learn as a body, as a family, really, really matters. What Paul basically does in this little section we're going to look at tonight is he kind of goes back and describes what his ministry, what his gospel work looked like, and then he basically says to the leaders, now this is what you guys and girls need to do kind of passes on the baton, as it were. That's what we're going to do tonight, really. We're going to look at two things. What was Paul's ministry like? And what does it look like for a leader or an elder in a church to do ministry today? Now, you might be sitting there going, 
Why did I come to church tonight if it's all about being a leader and elder in the church? I'm none of those things. Well, one day you might be. There's one reason to listen. The other thing is one day you might be in a position where you go, you're in a church and you go, actually, we've got to find a new leader for our church. What are we going to look for in a leader of a church? That might be a, you know, that'd be a reason to listen. But we've got lots of leaders in our church. It's not just me as lead pastor or our elder candidates, but we have leaders of a variety of ministry, prayer ministry, um, food ministry, kids ministry. We've commissioned Kim tonight. Lots of ministries. These leadership issues kind of apply. So that's what we're looking at. So we're going to look at, firstly, Paul's ministry. What did it look like for the Apostle Paul to do ministry? Well, let me say, if the Apostle Paul had a business card, right, and on the business card, this is, you know, it sort of told him what was he going to do, it would say that, sufferer and teacher, that's it. What do apostles do? They suffer and they teach. And everyone's here going, wow, that's what I want to do, you know, that would be a great job. But it's, it's all the way through this text, actually. If you have a look, have a look with me, verse 18 and following, let's look at the, 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 the subject, the, the themes here of suffering. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came uh, into the province of Asia. That's Turkey. I served the Lord with great humility. That's, that's loneliness, other person-centeredness, with tears, with emotion, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Come down to the next paragraph, uh, verse 22. More themes of suffering. And now, Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And we know, right, what Paul didn't know, that he ultimately would end up in prison in Rome and he would face Emperor Nero, who has a reputation of being one of the most savage emperors in all of Roman history didn't go well, ultimately, for Paul. Actually, in all of Paul's letters, right, he often speaks about his sufferings for Christ in service of God's people. And he doesn't write about his sufferings to go, oh, please care for me, I could do with some food, I could do with some love, a bit of you know, TLC. He doesn't write it, he's not, he's not whinging about it. He's just literally saying, this is what it looked like for me to be a worker for the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 11 is a great text where he kind of summarises it all. Listen to this. This is like a summary of Paul's suffering. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often, and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? I've been a minister for a while, right? I've never gone hungry. I've been thirsty, but not like to the point of dehydration. I've lost sleep over you guys, for sure. But that's a quite amazing suffering, right? You see, gospel ministry is as much about pain as it is about progress. In gospel ministry, pain and progress actually, I think, go together always. There is no real deep Progress without pain can be hard. You know, for most, I don't know, most church leaders in the world, most pastors in the world, they're doing their job pretty much solo. Uh, Leading churches around the world on their own, they are um, teaching a message that most of the world doesn't believe, often doesn't even care about. They're caring for the souls of people, you know, day in, day out. It's hard. Now, I'm not saying this right. You know, you're hearing, oh, is Simon actually, plea- is this a plea for help from Jacko from the front? 
I'm not actually, it's not a plea for help, that's not what I'm saying. I actually admit that I think I have more joy in ministry here than most people do around the world. But it's hard, it's not a plea for help, it's hard. Gospel ministry is hard, pain and progress, they kind of go together. And at the end of the day, like, Paul's suffering and Paul's pain is not just for the sake of nothing. It's actually connected deeply to what he's actually on about. It's deeply connected to teaching. For Paul has a message. So the business card, sufferer and teacher. So Paul is suffering for the sake of the message that he wants to get out to the churches and to the world around him. Um, listen to these verses as we read them out and think about, you'll see the words about conveying and proclaiming and sharing a message. Uh, so chapter 19, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and faith and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Second half of verse 24. My only aim, Paul says, is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And you can pick it up again, verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. It's teaching, suffering and teaching. What I find interesting about Paul's description here, how he describes his teaching ministry, right, is he has phrases that talk about the, the kind of the macro, right, the big picture of all that he's been teaching, this vast pool of apostolic content which he's been trying to pass on. Uh, verse 27, it's what he calls the whole will of God. But his ministry also has this really kind of narrow focus. See that? The gospel of God's grace. Verse 24. So it's like the apostolic teaching is a musical symphony with a light motif. Can you say that with me? A musical symphony with a light motif. And you're going, what the heck are you talking about? Maybe the musical among us will kind of get a sense. But you know, if you think about a in a symphony, in a massive piece of music, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, all those people, um, massive symphony, through the symphony is a thing called a light motif. Liz is talking to Simon, they're going, he has no idea what he talks about. No, 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 just joking. Um, there's a, there's a, through the symphonies, a thing called a light motif, which are these notes or recurring notes that keep popping up through the music that sort of tie the whole music. And Liz is going, yep, that's correct, beautiful. Um, that tie the whole thing kind of together. That's the symphony with a light Motif. I think the apostolic teaching is a little bit like a symphony with a light motif. So you think about it, there's this vast and glorious content, you know, Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you know, the first book of the Bible through to the last book of the Bible. It's vast and glorious, but it's also narrow. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. That's the light motif. And we've got to hold both together all the time as we're reading the Word and thinking about the Bible together. Why? Well, if you lose the, the light motif of the gospel, of God's grace, the Bible, I think, becomes a bit of a, I don't know, a cacophony, a bit like what it would be like if I started playing music before you, something like that. It's, it's no longer a glorious symphony. Dodgy kings, crazy prophets, rules and regulations. How do you tie it all together without the gospel of God's grace? But if all you do is have the gospel of God's grace, the light motif, forgetting the symphony, Genesis to Revelation, 
I think what you end up is with a bit of a, a, bit of a jingle. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. That's it. You lose the vast richness of the whole story of God's salvation project. It's a vast symphony with a beautiful, recurring, light motif. And it's one of my notes. This is, this is dangerous. Um, but um, one of the reasons why, you know, you might look at um, the way we teach the Bible here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, and you kind of go, like, why do we go from Acts to a topical series, then to an Old Testament book, and then into another little topical, and then back into a gospel? What, what, what on earth are the elders thinking about? One of, the, one of our ideas, one of the big thing there is that we want to teach the, the kind of the vast symphony of the scriptures, the Genesis to Revelation, that we have the big feel of all that's going on and all that God is doing, but at the same time drill down into some of the, the gospel detail as well. And so we want to teach the whole counsel of God. And so that's why this year we'll be you know, in the book of Acts until um, a few weeks before Easter, then charging through Mark's gospel into Easter, landing on, on Easter Sunday in Mark chapter 16, then working our way through the Ten Commandments for, you guessed it, ten weeks um, after that, and then into a topical series mid-year, diving into the book of Galatians later, and so on and so forth. We want to be teaching, and feeding on the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation, with the leitmotif always kind of coming through, binding it all together. So he's a sufferer, He's a teacher, and he's teaching the symphony with a light motif. And all of this, right, is, you know, I don't know if you were here when we studied Acts chapter 2. Anyone here when we studied Acts chapter 2 was like 14 years ago? No, no. Um, Acts chapter 2, we, we studied that passage, right, a long time ago, where Luke gives this beautiful paragraph of what the ideal Christian, Holy Spirit-fueled, gospel-centered church looks like. Acts 2, right, Luke just piles up the descriptions of what the ideal Christian church looks like. He says things like, we read it before, they ate together, they prayed together, they worshipped together, they ate bread together, they, they were in awe of the miracles of the apostles together, they shared their property with each other, they evangelised those around them, but look how it begins. The opening of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, describing the ideal church says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think we said at the time, right, modern scholars who study the ancient world are all pretty much in agreement that the church in the first couple of centuries after Jesus died and rose again and poured out the Holy Spirit looked more like Aristotle's academy than Apollo's temple. It looked more like a schoolroom than a kind of religion. Why? Because they were so into a body of teaching. They were committed, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that emphasis, I think, comes from the apostle Paul. And it spills over, right, into the next section we're going to look at tonight. So Paul, an apostle, his role, suffering and teaching, and then now he hands the baton over to these church elders and leaders. And, he's, and that's what we're going to look at now, the ministry of church leaders devoted to the word. Now bear in mind, right, we're in Miletus, this little coastal town. Paul's called these elders together from all these churches in the Asia Minor region. So it's not just one church in Ephesus. could have been 20, 30, 40 elders lined up around Paul, listening into what he had to say. And he basically passes the baton to them. Let me read verse 28 and following. Listen to what their role is to be. 
Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number will arise, will, uh, people will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, Paul says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. It's a big charge to this group of church leaders back in the first century and by extension to church leaders, elders here today at City Light Church, North Adelaide and in our context everywhere. Yeah, this paragraph, that paragraph of scripture I just read, really shaped um, the service of ordination when I first went into gospel ministry in terms of it being a job, a vocation. Um, those, those words shaped pretty much the whole service when I got sort of ordained or like we kind of installed Kim today, charged with a responsibility. The reason for that is um, I, was, I initially was ordained and working within the Anglican church. Um, so if you can imagine me wearing a white frock and a dog collar and a, you know, a stole thing, you know, and I'm walking up, didn't know who I was. But anyway, um, I was there and that's where I began to sort of, that's where I started my work um, sort of vocationally in the, in the church. And the reason is, you know, I became what they call priested or presbyted. That's what happened to me. Um, and the reason is the word elder that we have used here in the scriptures um, gave us the word priest. So the original word is presbyteros. Can you say that with me? Presbyteros. Drop that one at the next, you know, dinner party. Um, which comes to be in English in a pretty kind of mangled and convoluted way, the word priest. So the word priest, you've got to understand this, right, is not a bridge between ordinary followers of Jesus and, you know, Jesus himself. The priest is still a very ordinary person, just means an elder. It's hard for some of us, you to think of me as your elder, um, but it has nothing to do with age and things like that or chronology. It has everything to do with their leadership function as a teacher of the word of God. Teaching. Um, when I was ordained, the kind of the high point, I guess at the point where, you know, the people getting ordained get charged with this responsibility. These words are read out. I want to read them to you today. They still apply to me. Um, the, the, the senior person, the bishop, would say, I exhort you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you remember the dignity of the high office and charge which, to which you are called. That is to say, to be messengers, watchmen, stewards of the Lord, to teach and forewarn, feed and provide for the Lord's family, to seek for Christ's sheep who are scattered abroad and for his children who are surrounded by temptation in this world, that they may be saved through Christ forever. Have always, therefore, upon your mind how great a treasure is committed to your charge, for they are the sheep of Christ who he bought with his death and for whom he shed his blood." Do you hear the echoes of Acts chapter 20 through that charge? Hear the references to the church that Christ bought with his blood? The references to, to shepherding? The, the reference to teaching? It all comes from Acts chapter 20. And the word shepherd, by the way, that's used here in verse 28 in our passage, be shepherds of the church of God, is actually the word that gave us the, the title pastor or the word pastor. 
So elder gave us the word priest. Shepherd gave us the word pastor. It's interesting though, right? Because the way we often use the, the phrase pastoral care, right, is often very different to the way the New Testament uses the phrase kind of pastoral care. Usually we think of pastoral care as kind of that, the social caring for people's emotional and physical needs and so on, an absolutely vital ministry. But the New Testament calls it something else. In the New Testament, pastoring or shepherding is entirely about guiding people to the truth and protecting people from the wolves. A shepherd, a pastor, the primary role is to guide people to the truth and to protect people from wolves. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men, women will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. It's all about teaching. Even the caveat, right, in the next paragraph about money is related to this emphasis on teaching because teachers in the ancient world first century ancient world, whether you're a teacher of poetry, of rhetoric, or a teacher of grammar, you could make tons of money out of it, right? Like if you're a teacher of these things, you could make squillions. Um, so what you would do is, right, you'd gain individuals. So I'd go over to Renee and say, hey, Renee, I'm a great rhetorician. Do you want to learn rhetoric? And, I'd say, and she'd say, yes, Simon, I want to learn rhetoric, whatever that is. And, um, and then she'd say, and I'd say, look, I charge 100 bucks an hour. And she's like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Great. We'd sign a contract. And then, and then Nick, I'd go over to Nick and say, hey, Nick, I'm a teacher of rhetoric. Do you want to learn rhetoric? And you'd say, yes. And, um, and then I'd say, look, what do I charge? I charge about it one. I, I charge 200 bucks an hour. Um, you okay with that? Yeah. You'd never know that I'm charging you 100 and you 200. So I'd be like making squillions. It was, it was, it was yeah, it's a dodgy system. But there was potential to do that. Paul could have done that. It would have been expected the Apostle Paul would have made lots of money out of his role as this apostle, this teacher. But look what he says in verse 33. Not for an apostle, not for an elder. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. By the way, that's just a little piece of like stray oral tradition. It doesn't appear in any of the Gospels. Um, obviously, Luke and Paul knew sayings of Jesus uh, that we don't have in the Gospels. That made me think, uh, many years ago, American Express, you know those American Express cards, American Express ran a commercial. Um, part of their commercial was to have like, lots of amazing quotes that various cool people had said, and they would sort of pass over the screen. Um, you know. And then there was this one, it is more blessed to give than to receive, anonymous. And I'm like, it's not anonymous. Jesus said that. No, no one was there to hear me, right? But like, I'm like, rah. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. That's by the by. My point is, right, and the point that Paul is trying to make, if you're a gospel minister, if you're a leader in the church... There is no fee for service in ministry. Paul could have made squillions, but he didn't. You know, there's no fee for service in ministry. I don't get bonuses for preaching a better sermon. I don't get docked pay for preaching a rubbish one. It's great. No, 
I, see, I, as a minister, right, I get, as a leader of the church, I get a stipend. I don't get a salary. It's a set amount. Um, so the leader of City Light Church, Glenelg, you know, our, our famous and beloved Don Redden, who's preaching to millions, he gets paid exactly the same as me, who's preaching to the most beautiful people, but not that many. It's, that's how it should be. It's how it should be. It's not about fee for service. Paul even says, like, I paid my way with my own hands when I had to. I've got lots of notes here. I don't want to go into it in detail, actually. Um, But but Paul had this really great trade. He was a tent maker back in the first century. People needed tents. And so it was a really transferable business. So wherever he sort of landed, he could start up the business, make tents. People would sell them or buy them. and, And he could pay his way during the week and then preach the good news of Jesus on the weekends. Without going into detail, there's lots of great stuff there. But Paul, as he was able to, he would work with his own hands in order to support his own ministry so he could make Jesus known. But at other times, without going into detail, there was a group called the Macedonians. They're the Philippians we come across really in the, book, in the New Testament. Um, they were just, they loved Paul. They were generous to Paul. And so they would collect money over like a 12-year period and they'd send it to Paul, which then would free Paul up to be able to do ministry gospel proclaiming full-time. But then when the resources kind of wound up or dried up, he would then go back to tent making and, you know, carry on his weekend gospel proclamation. Paul would go back and forth, sometimes working with his own hands so he could preach, sometimes sponsored by others who would look after him. You go, why are you banging on about this, Jacko, on a Sunday night when it's kind of humid and warm? Well, the key idea in this paragraph is that elders in the local church ought not to be a burden to their people. That's what it ought to be. That's the thing we learn. Elders must not be a financial burden on their church. And if you're new to City Light Church, North Adelaide, I am the only paid elder in our team. I'm working about four days a week. I'm freed up by you to be able to do that at this time. Lauren, our um, who's leading us tonight, she's our administrator, creative person, everything else. Um, she's working one day a week. We are freed up by you to be able to do those jobs. But we will always be having a look to see if that's working out okay. It may very well be that just depending on how things go, it might be that I need to reduce the hours that I'm doing in order to remove the burden from you and in supporting me. That may be the case. But we'll always keep an eye on that. For now, I'm freed up by you to proclaim the Lord's word, to teach, to pastor, to do all those things. And I'm thankful for it. But let's not get distracted by money and financial stuff for too long. Because the real challenge of this passage really doesn't have anything to do with money. Everything to do with guarding the truth and protecting from error. Guiding people to the gospel, guarding people from the wolves. That's what Paul suffered for. It's what he charges church leaders to do. You see, my first duty as lead elder of this church is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Your first duty as a member of City Light Church North Adelaide is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's back there right at the beginning, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where there's this long list of what the ideal church is. With the statement opening, they devoted themselves, that's they, not just the leaders, but the community of God's people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's like Acts 20 kind of zoomed in on Acts Acts 2.42. How do churches like us remain devoted to the apostles' teaching? 
Well, they set aside someone or a bunch of someones to give themselves fully to the apostles' teaching. Now, please don't mishear me, right? Teaching isn't everything. Teaching isn't even the most important thing in our church. What I am saying is that teaching is logically the first thing because it shapes everything. Because what you think is true shapes what you do. First in church life is that our ideas come from the word of God, not from the wolves around us, either the wolves in the church or the wolves outside the church. Now, wolves, right, is dramatic language, right? You go, wow, wolves? I can easily spot a wolf. They're, oh, man, they're so easy. If, I, if a wolf worked, walked into City Light Church North Adelaide, I'm like, bam, I can spot a wolf. Don't look at each other, by the way, right now. Um, but the thing is, wolves don't look like wolves. They often come, right, in sheep's clothing. In subtle ways, wolves will challenge the apostolic teaching. Our dilemma is, is not that we're going to be misled by outlandish, outrageous, wrong teaching. I think our struggle is that we always, we'll, we'll kind of adjust the apostles' teaching so that we can sort of fit in, not make waves, commending the values of society while in a million tiny ways compromising the truth. You see, we form our ideas from a whole range of things, right? The Apostles' teaching, Netflix, Stan, the Disney Channel, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. All of those things form what we think is true and how we then act and behave. And, and the thing, I don't know, I've been thinking about my own life, right? Sometimes I watch these things and I just sit there completely uncritical about what I'm, I'm watching and just take it all in. You know, we, we sometimes give as much airtime to, to Netflix and to Facebook and to Twitter as we do the apostles' teaching, don't we? Some of us here listen to Netflix and Stan and Disney Channel more than the New Testament, for sure. Some of us read Facebook and Twitter more than we read the Bible. And so something happens when that happens over time. We, we become uncritical. And, and what we hear and what we see and what we think begins to influence who we are. And so the temptation becomes, right, to adjust the apostolic teaching into our culture and conform it with the culture around us. To gain approval, I don't know, to fit in. You see, Jesus said, right, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. You know you're at a party and we're more likely to say, oh, I just think everyone needs to find out what's kind of true for them. Jesus said, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. He said that. But we cut ourselves so much slack, don't we, in material accumulation? The apostles said, be compassionate and humble to everyone. Do not repay insult with insult, but blessing. And yet some of us sometimes speak of asylum seekers, sometimes speak about Muslims, people from other countries, as if they are second-class human beings. I was just at a church preaching this morning. I stepped down about preaching about inclusivity and grace and welcoming all people, and someone said, but not the Muslims. And I was like, did you listen to anything I said? Sometimes we do that. And Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. And yet so often, right, we find ourselves avoiding suffering 
and serving ourselves. I could go on. I could give a thousand examples, right? Small, large ways where our ideas are formed and we're uncritical without being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And whilst Acts 20, right, Acts 20 is not asking us to be like fundamentalist Christians. I actually think Acts 20 is asking us all to be faithful Christians. And yet I think because we're so often scared about being labelled fundamentalists, we run a mile past being faithful. We just fit in. So brothers and sisters in Christ, as a result of studying this passage and thinking it through, I, I stand before you today. Stand before you today as your brother in Christ, as your lead pastor, recommitted to my role as lead elder, to be a shepherd, to guard the truth, to protect from error, to teach, to warn for the sake of you all, because you are Christ's precious possession for which he shed his blood. I stand before you today recommitted to being devoted to the apostles' teaching. But you know what? It's really only going to work if we are together devoted to the apostles' teaching. So let me leave you with this wonderful quote from the great D.L. Moody. When the church, the pulpit, and the pew get united and God's people are all of one mind, Christianity is like a red-hot ball rolling over the earth and all the hosts of death and hell cannot stand before it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, will you please give us wisdom? Lord, give us clarity of thought and responsive hearts. Lord, that we might be more critical of the messages we hear both inside and outside the church. Uh, Father, that together uh, we would be uh, your people, your flock, Lord, who follow your voice. For you, Lord, ultimately are our good shepherd. And so, Lord, this night we, we, we recommit ourselves to you and to your precious word. And we do this for Christ's sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.